The reading of Gutter Brabado from page 501 of the Autochnomous Big Book. Alone and unemployable, he was given two options by the court, get help or go to jail, and his journey toward teachability began. I was born in the major Midwestern city of the tail end of the baby boom. My parents were not well-to-do, but they were employed and pursuing the American dream in the mid-50s. Dad was an ex-policeman who had put himself through law school and worked with banks as a real estate broker. Mom had graduated from a well-known East Coast college majoring in journalism and moved west to marry my father and raise a family. Both were children of hard-working European immigrants. Growing up, my big brother and I went to church on Sundays and attended parochial schools. We had plenty to eat and more than just the basic necessities of life. I was a smart but mischievous kid, and at some point I decided it was easier to lie than to suffer the consequences of my pranks. Dad was big on law and order, but especially didn't like liars. We often had conflicts other than this. My early childhood was a relatively happy one. Eventually, my brother went off to college and I started venturing into the world of my own. I enjoyed my friends and our many adventures. This is where my first experiment with alcohol began. Sharing a few beers or a stolen bottle with friends on a Friday night was my approach to maturity and adulthood. In school, I developed the reputation of never quite working up to my potential. I felt the world took things much too seriously where I saw myself as fun-loving and happy-go-lucky. Others saw irresponsibility and insolence. A rebellious nature since started to surface. In the mid-60s, I had the opportunity to visit my brother, who had a fellowship at the University of California. These were heady times, and my experience there left a lasting impression on me. There was music in the air and dancing in the streets. Little wonder that after returning to the Midwest, I soon became a disciplined problem. Disillusioned with what I saw as the mundane trivialities of school, I found it harder and harder to concentrate. I longed for the carefree life, but by the fall of 1968, after leaving three different schools, I decided I had enough. So I quit the books, packed my guitar, and left home and headed back to the West Coast filled with the optimism of youth and intended to make a lie for myself. My ton tiny grub stakes soon started to run out and work was hard to find. I panhandled little but found I was too proud for it or more likely not hungry enough. I began living hand to mouth but my survival skills were not as sharp as I thought. In warmer weather I camped in the woods near the coastal highway. The barking of the sea lions made it hard to sleep. With winter approaching, I roamed the waterfront and the streets, sleeping in storerooms and seedy hotels or flopping with migrant workers in towns for their off-season. What had begun as an adventure was turning into a nightmare. My moments of escape from this uncomfortable reality came when I persuaded someone to share their wine or vodka. With a drink in me, my confidence returned, my direction seemed clear-cut, and I reveled in lofty plans and dreams for the future. Drinking to escape became as important as eating to survive. All of the gutter bravado and determination crumbled when, in the end, I ran up against the law. The authorities sent me packing back to the Midwest, 
with nothing more than the clothes on my back. Arriving home, I dazzled my friends with exaggerated tales of exotic people with strange happenings. Some of them true. We went straight out drinking and I picked up right where I left off. Always the object was to go out and get wasted. Though I sometimes had trouble holding my liquor, I was willing to try harder. <laughs> I felt the key to successful drinking was the same as it, it is in musicianship. Practice, practice, practice. After an attempt at college, I sought employment, often with a hangover. The jobs I found I considered too menial. I did not yet know that all the work is honorable, that all work is honorable, period. The maintenance crews, comma, the electroplating, comma, the factory work, comma, and the pharmaceutical industry. After emptying the trash, I started on the shelves were all on my resume. My thievery, thievery tardiness, and abstinence, the reasons for my dismissals weren't on, aren't on my resume. I was becoming genuinely dissatisfied, but I did not know that the problem was within me. I wanted some of the finer things in life, but upon realizing they took effort, I dismissed them as trappings of the establishment. Watching out for the big bag of money by the side of the road was my more idea of planning for the future. In spite of my drinking, I managed to save a little money with my first thousand dollars. I bought a motorcycle. With this, I purchased a lifestyle more than a means of transportation. For years afterwards, I lived the biker lifestyle. At times raw and exciting, my existence revolved around building and dragging racing motorcycles. Ride hard, live fast, and die young were my new rules. Weekdays, I spent bar hopping the neighborhoods. Weekends would find me in the clubs downtown. As the years passed, my sickle circle of friends grew smaller. Some died accidentally, some were killed, some went to jail, and some just developed a good sense to get out and grow up. These were the ones I didn't understand. I sure wasn't making any new friends, so more and more I found myself a loner. In the mid-70s, I was hired by the steel industry, a union job at a good pay. Soon I bid to a craft job and started learning the electrical trade. The work was hot, dirty, and dangerous. Everyone worked swing shift, and at the end of my turn, I felt as if I had survived an ordeal. The first stop was this tavern on top of the hill. Many times there was no second stop. Liquor was not the only recreational substance available there, and I was no stranger to any of them. This was where I got my first bar tab. So no matter how broke I was, I could always stop in for drinks after work. While the guys around me were buying homes, raising families, and other ways living responsibility, I was already having trouble keeping my utilities on and my car running. I saw to it that I paid my bar tab, however. My life became the pursuit of intoxication. After a few drinks, I felt more normal and in control. I changed from a fugitive, furtive loner into a party animal. My jokes were funnier. The girls were prettier. I shot better pool, and the jukebox played better tunes. I could look people in the eye and mingle with the best of them. Every so often, I took work-related college courses, spending time with normal people. I began to see how well I had become. My cherished individualism was turning into isolation. Isolation. 
I had a growing un- uneasiness that I was in a vicious circle. I had no friends, only acquaintances. This fact was underscored by the bullet holes in my car. Courtesy of one acquaintance, I had double cross. My only sense of relief was in the bottle, but even that was beginning to fail me. My dreams had long since faded. <clears throat> my direction was unclear, my confidence lost, and the drinking would not restore them as it once had. Personal hygiene became an afterthought. There were times when I would try to live without drinking, but it was difficult, often ending at the most inappropriate times. I cleaned up for special occasions such as holidays, funerals, job interviews, and court dates, only to fail in the final hour, snapping back to the bottle like a rubber band. Planned abstinence was extremely stressful. The downward spiral of my life began making smaller circles. My driving record included many accidents and a ticket list that would raise a policeman's eyebrows. When I carried insurance, it was high risk. I grew sneakier and less outwardly defiant. Despite breaking laws routinely for years, I stayed out of big trouble for the most part. A few times they almost had me, but I managed to scam on technicalities. Or I got yet another break. Finally, an indiscretion committed years earlier came back to haunt me. I was about to have a forced encounter with the federal judicial system. I began to feel like a clown juggling too many balls. Each ball represented a problem I was keeping up in the air. My arms were weary and I knew I couldn't keep on much longer, but I was not about to give up. My pride and ego wouldn't let me. Bosses, judges, co-workers, lawyers, cardinals, tarbabs, loan sharks, utility payments, landlords, my girlfriend, people I had double-crossed. I looked to all of these as the source of my problems while overlooking the most basic problem, my drinking and myself. I knew for a long time that I desperately wanted off this merry-go-round, but I had no idea how to do it. The judge had no trouble coming up with a few ideas. However, I got house arrest with electronic monitoring and strictly supervised probation with random urinalysis for openers. Five years into the penitentiary, I waited after that. I still played the angles until it became clear to the authorities that I could not live up to the conditions of my probation. I didn't, it didn't matter what the consequences were. I could not drink and give up trying. I could not drink. I could not drink. And I gave up trying. I couldn't not drink. When the court eventually called me in for my violations, they gave me two choices. Get help or go to jail. After careful thought, I chose the first. Now, either they were going to send me someplace or I could send myself. I chose the second, and they gave me a week to make arrangements. Procrastination to the end, it took me three weeks. This is when, once again, desperate, cornered, and at my lowest, I said the only prayer I still knew. God help me. If you get me out of this one, I'll never do it again. That's the only prayer I only knew. My life was finally out of my control. No longer the party animal, I was broke and my rent was overdue. I had dirty dishes piled in the sink and moldy pots on the stove. Bags of garbage and bottles were lined up by the door and the toilet had stopped. 
Piles of stolen junk were sitting on the floor. I have been wearing my clothes much too long, and ex except for a box of macaroni and cheese on a, or a pot pie, I was not eating. When a knock came at the door, I would run into the bathroom and peep out the window to see who was coming to get me. Not drinking wasn't an option, but drinking didn't help. Such was my condition as I left the house to check myself into the hospital for my days of reckoning. Outside of being very nervous, I don't remember much about admission because I was so loaded at the time. After a few hours, I began to feel safer. My apprehension slowly turned to relief. Maybe they could help me after all. I had no idea how sick I was to become. The first five of my 17 days in detox were hell. I could do little more than lie in bed. It had been years since I was sober that long. After a week, I felt a little better and began surveying my surroundings. I started my own counter evaluations. I found the doctors and nurses to be knowledgeable and professional, but I sensed that while they knew much about alcoholism, they, they had learned it, it in books. They had not lived it. I did not need knowledge. I needed solutions. No one but the hopeless really knew what it felt like to exist without hope. The skeptics in, in me came out searching for every loophole and excuse to pick things apart and to divert attention from my condition. My initial optimism was beginning to waver. Was this all there was? However, there was one man on the staff who seemed different. He seemed very comfortable and at ease with a bit of noise sparkle in his eye. This guy was clearly not as stuffy as the rest, and when he told me his story, I was surprised to find it very similar to mine. Only his was no secret. He mentioned being a member of Akak Anonymous. How could it be that he obviously had the respect of the staff after having lived a life of crime? How could it be that he was a lot like me but had made it back? Here was someone who was sober yet cool, humble yet firm in his convictions, serious but not with a sense of humor. This was one to whom I could relate and maybe even trust. He may have saved my life just by being there. And to this day, he doesn't even know it. Over the next few days, I was still not talking much, but I was listening and watching. I learned more about Alcoholics Anonymous works, how it works, and meet more of its members. I found that it was not something they left at the hospital as they went home. It was a way of life. I found that it was spiritual, not religion. I saw them enjoying themselves, and they all agree on one thing. If I wanted to change my life as they had changed theirs, I could as long as I became willing to do what they did. I became fascinating. Here I was, the scum of the earth, yet they came to me and invited me to join them. I started to feel that if I was ever going to try something different, I'd better do it now. I might be, it might be my last chance, after all. I still had to deal with the authorities, and I had nothing to lose by playing along. So I read their book. I started to work their steps, and with the door closed and the lights out, I asked for a little help from a higher power, as they suggested. Finally, they highly recommended that I attend their meetings, especially the first night out. I walked out of there on a Sunday afternoon. I intended to go to a meeting that night, but I also had $10 in my pocket. In a reason to celebrate, I was sober for 22 days, and I was feeling pretty good about myself. 
Soon my own instincts began to take over. My sunny days, 10 bucks, celebration, feeling good. Before I knew it, I was walking into the back door of one of my old watering holes. The smell of alcohol hit me when I entered and my mouth watered. I sat down at the bar. I ordered my usual ginger wash. Couldn't I make it just one day without drinking? At this last question, I realized that yes, since I put it that way, I probably could make it just one day without drinking. Besides, I was going to a meeting that night and who knows, they might have breathalyzers there. I put down my dollar, got off the stool and walked back out the door. After all, I could drink tomorrow if I wanted to and that's just what I planned to do. At my first meeting that night, the people fulfilled their responsibility. They made me welcome. I met others like me and it felt good. Maybe this thing was for real, so I went to another meeting and I got the same feeling. Then another meeting. The tomorrows came and went, and to this day, I still haven't found it necessary to take another drink. That was well over six years ago. The meetings gave me what my sponsor likes to call one of the most important words in the big book. And AA put a we in my life. We! We admitted we were powerless over alcohol. I no longer had to be alone. Fellowship and activity kept me coming back long enough to work the 12 steps. The more I did, the better I felt. I started hanging out with my sponsor and some active people on, at the meetings. They showed me how gratitude is something that is de demonstrated, not talked about. Gratitude is action, they suggested. They suggested I was lucky to still have a car even though it was a junker. Therefore, I might consider taking the less fortunate to meetings. They reminded me you can't teach anything to a know-it-all, so remain teachable. When old behavior started to creep back in, they called me on it. When life was just didn't feel right, they talked about developing faith and relying on my higher power. They told me lack of power was my dilemma and that there is a solution. I took to AA immediately and believed like a child that if I leveled my pride enough to thoroughly follow their path, I'd get what they had. And it worked. Starting out, I just wanted to keep the authorities off my back. I never bargained for this program's changing the course of my life or showing me the way to freedom and happiness. Still very impatient, I wanted the whole deal right away. That's why I related so well to the story about a wide-eyed new person and an old-timer. When the newcomer approached the old-timer, envying his accomplishments and many years of sobriety, the old-timer slapped down his hand like a gavel and said, Look, kid, I'll trade you even my 30 years for your 30 days right now. He knew what the newcomer had yet to find out, that true happiness is found in the journey not the destination. So today, I'm much more comfortable with life as Alcoholics Anonymous has promised, and I know they're right when they say it keeps getting better. My circumstances have steadily improved as my spiritual life grows and matures. Words cannot begin to describe the feelings in my heart as I sometimes ponder how much life has changed, how far I come, and how much there is yet to discover. And though I'm not sure where my journey may take me next, I know I 
I'll owe it to the grace of God and to three words of the 12 steps. Continue, improve, and practice. Oh, and one more thing they told me. Humility is the key. Beautiful, wonderful story of life. How's that? Huh? Pretty cool. Keep, keep our sights up. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. One more reading, and we're long-winded this morning. Hang in there, please. And we are getting our meal for the whole year. Our, our first meal for the whole year. So let's go ahead and say the uh, third step prayer. I think it would be a good time for the third step prayer, please. Okay. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do the, thy will. Let's do it. Let's do it again. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Okay, let's go ahead and run to my to the club where my sponsor dwells in. King Solomon, they have a cowbell there, and every time you open the door, the cowbell goes off, and it's a newcomer, because the newcomer looks up at the bell, <laughs> and he, this is what he has to say for today, January 1st, 2023, for the month of January, verse 1. He says, here are kingdom revelations, words to live by. And words of wisdom given to empower you to reign in life. Written as Proverbs by Israel's King Solomon, David's son. Within these saying will be found the revelations of wisdom and the impartation of spiritual understanding. Use them as keys to unlock the treasures of true knowledge. Those who cling to these words will receive discipline to demonstrate wisdom in every relationship. And to choose what is right and just and fair. These Proverbs will give you great skill to teach the immature and make them wise, to give youth the understanding of their design and destiny. For the wise, these Proverbs will make you even wiser, and for those with discernment, they will be able to acquire brilliant strategies for leadership. These kingdom revelations will break open your understanding to unveil the deeper meaning of parables, poetic riddles, and epigrams, and to unravel the words and enigmas of the wise. The cross the threshold, we cross the threshold of true knowledge when we live in obedient devotion to God. Now, stubborn know-it-alls will never stop to do this, for they scorn true wisdom and knowledge. Pay close attention, my child, to your father's wise words and never forget your mother's instructions. For their insight will bring you success, adorning you with grace-filled thoughts and giving you reins to guide your decisions. We peer pressure when peer pressure compels you to go with the crowd and sinners invite you to join in, you must simply say no. When the gang says, we're going to steal and kill and get away with it, 
We'll take down the rich and rob them. We'll swallow them up alive and take what we want from whomever we want. Then we'll take their treasures and fill our homes with loot. So come on and join us. Take your chances with us. We'll divide up all we get. We'll each end up with big bags of cash. My son refused to go with them and stay away from them. For crime is their way of life and bloodshed their specialty. To be aware of their snare is the best way to escape. They'll, they'll resort to murder to steal their victim's assets. But eventually it will be their own lives that are um, ambushed. In their ungodly disrespect for God, they bring destruction on their own lives. Wisdom's praise are sung in the streets and celebrated far and wide. Yet wisdom's song is not always heard in the halls of higher learning, but in the hustle and bustle of everyday life. Its lyric can always be heard above the dim of the crowd. You will hear wisdom's warnings as she preaches courageously to those who stop to listen. Hey, foolish ones, how much longer will you cling to your deception? Look back at what you've done. How much longer will you mock wisdom that's trying to help you? You cynical scorners who fight the facts. Come back to your senses. You say you, you, you got strength and no one tells you what to do. Come back to your senses and be restored to reality. Don't even think about refusing my rebuke. Don't you know that I'm ready to pour out my spirit of wisdom upon you and bring to you the revelation of my words that will make your heart wise? I call to you over and over, still you refuse to come to me. I pleaded with you again and again, yet you turn a deaf ear to me. Because you have laughed at my counsel and have insisted on continuing in your stubbornness, I will laugh when your calamity comes and will turn away from you at the time of your disaster. Make a joke of my advice, will you? Then I will make a joke out of you. When the storm's clouds of terror gather over your head, when dread and distress consumes you, and your catastrophe comes like a hurricane, you will cry out, but I won't answer. You will cry out to me, but I won't answer. And then it will be too late to expect my help. When desperation drives you to search for me, I will be nowhere to be found. Because you have turned up your noses at me, and close your eyes to the facts and refuse to worship me in awe. Because you scoff at my counsel and laugh at my correction, now you will eat the bitter fruit of your own ways. You made your own bed, now lie in it. So how do you like that? Like an idiot, you turned away from me and chose destruction instead of your self-satisfying smugness will kill you. But the one who always listens to me will live undisturbed in a heavenly peace, free from fear, confident and courageous. That one will rest unafraid and shelter from the storms of life. Woohoo! That's the promises. That's the promises of the program. Thank you for coming on today. Let's go ahead and close out with the uh, seven step prayer, please. My Creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out here and do your bidding. Amen. Keep coming back. It works. <laughs>